Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm John Russin. I'm here with my dear buddy, Pastor Frank Friedman. Hello there, my friend. I tell you, it's a crazy time in the media these days, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. 2020. What a year. Pandemic, riots in the streets, uh, mistrust of uh, our government officials, mistrust of the media, and some of it probably a, a good thing to mistrust. So fortunately, we have a, a God who sets up rulers and who also takes them down. And he has not abdicated his throne. And uh, we can trust him because he's good. You know, that fits right into uh, our new tagline. For our listeners, if you've been with us from the beginning, this has truly been a work in progress. Uh, Frank and I, when we began knew absolutely nothing about this. So we've been learning as we've been going. So we've got a new tagline that fits right into today's opening comments. It's no matter what's happening, choose hope, choose Jesus. Uh, he is the one who is stable no matter what happens in the world. That's a good word. So this week, we're continuing our conversation in law and grace, but we're gonna do a little one-off today, Frank. We're gonna do a deep dive into a single topic. And that topic is the power of sin. Now, you may ask, well, what on earth does that have to do with Romans 5, 17? Well, it turns out from our perspective, it's very important. And here's why. As we've been unpacking Romans 5, 17, we've been emphasizing over and over the need for us to receive the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness. And if you haven't been here on some of our earlier podcasts, let me just reiterate the definition for that word receive. That is to actively, aggressively lay hold of, take and accept what is offered to you. And it focuses on the will of the receiver to choose to receive what's offered. And of course, in the context of this verse, it's focusing specifically on our identity in Christ. But you know, my friend, no matter how clear that uh, that verse is, many people, most people, all people struggle sometimes because we have a hard time believing the truth about ourselves, that what God says about us is really true. Why is that, Frank? What are we struggling with here, my friend? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. You know, you can receive these gifts and they are true. Uh, you know, Jesus, John, in your, your introduction, it's so important to understand this. He restored us back to the original design of Eden. Uh, man had a true north in the garden. It was God. And he lived in an economy of receiving. And God was everything to that man. When man ate from that tree, he lost his true north. He became his own God. He's like a, a, a compass. And it'll point anywhere and everywhere to try to get his identity and his needs met. And then he entered, of course, into an economy of achieving. Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. 
And that's what makes Romans 5.17 so incredible. Jesus restored us to our true north, our true identity. We were designed to have an intimate relationship with God, drawing life from him in an economy of receiving. And that's what grace is all about. So if we have those things, why do we struggle? Well, uh, like you talked about, I think there's a, uh, an actor on the stage. And just like in any uh, great story of good and evil, uh, there's an evil actor. And uh, he seeks to trip us up, make us fall, and keep us from believing what is true. And, you know, there's a friend of ours that now is with the Lord, and, and he called it the unholy trinity, the enemy the flesh, and this other actor called the power of sin. So uh, he trips us up, John. He keeps us from, uh, he tries to keep us from believing and experiencing what is true about us in Christ. And he does a good job, at least with me, because when I blow it, and I do occasionally, once every 20 or 30 years, I think I make a mistake. I know you're less frequent than that, but I'm working hard to be as good as you. Um, I look at this verse and I look at what I just did or said or thought. And I say to myself, well, I can't be righteous, not with what I just did or what I just said or what I just thought or with the temptations I feel daily. And so I tend to take the truth of scripture and balance it, in my, balance it again against my own experiences. And I tend to give the weight to my own experiences, but you know, it's interesting that even though we have all this truth about us, doesn't mean we use it. I mean, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Okay, so we got that. But then later on in scripture, Paul says, let peace rule. And so even though we have it, we have a choice to let it control us. So that's where our conversation is gonna focus because there's a deceiver in there, as you mentioned. And we're going to see today that much of what we blame ourselves for is truly not caused by us, but caused by the power of sin. So, Frank, you've already mentioned this other player, this power of sin. Give us a quick thousand foot snapshot of the power of sin. Wow. You know, it's interesting, John. Uh, the Holy Spirit never defines it. Uh, he doesn't give us that uh, luxury of giving us a definition. No, he does but, not. Uh, but there's a lot of verses where when we look at them, uh, the Holy Spirit almost uh, provides for us that the power of sin is like a uh, an evil entity. Uh, and uh, in Genesis, almost like a, a wild animal that's uh, against us and wants to devour us. So a, a 5,000 foot, I would say, it's an arch enemy that we don't maybe fully understand uh, how he works, but we understand that he works and he works against us by trying to seduce us uh, into a false understanding of either who we are or who God is and rob us from the experience of what we already have. Well, my friend, you mentioned Genesis, and I think 
This is a complicated topic, and what I like to do is go back to the very first time in Scripture something, something is mentioned, and then begin to tease that apart and see exactly what was happening, who was doing what, and what the results were. So let's go back this time to Genesis 4, and if I can, give a brief snapshot of what's happening. A couple of kids, Cain was the firstborn of Adam, and... Uh, Abel was his younger brother. We don't know how much younger, but he was younger. And come time to make an offering to God, Abel brought an animal, which was accepted by God, and Cain brought some plants, which were not accepted. And then Cain gets angry. And this is how God responds. Very interesting. He says, Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? The verse says, why do you look so sad? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So let me jump in and give a, a, a John's perspective on this and I'll let you chime in. Basically, God says, it's okay. You messed up, son, but you haven't really lost everything. Just step back, bring the accepted offering and all be well and all will be well. But here's the kicker. See, God always gives a choice. If you don't do well, son, if you continue to choose disobedience, rebellion, anger, resentment, there's something here. It's called sin, and it's just lying at the door. And this is interesting because sin is portrayed as a noun. It's an object. It's a thing that's kind of skulking by the door, waiting for an invitation to come in. Obviously, it desires to control us. So, Frank, sin here is not an action. Uh, it's not a sacrifice. It's none of that stuff. The context says it is an object waiting to control us if we choose to let it. So unpack this a little further for us. What's going on here? What is sin and what is its desire? And tell us a little more about this dynamic. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I know. That's a lot of questions bundled <laughs> into one. Uh, you can handle it, bro. Well, it's, uh, it appears from what the Holy Spirit has said that, like you said, it is a power. It is an entity. It is not something so much that we do. That's called sins. That would be a, a verb. Uh, we are sinning. Um, but this is an entity. And here's the important distinction. That is not who we are. It's outside of us. Oh, yeah, that's but good. it but it has the power to influence us and it wants to lead us away from God. That's always its agenda, either to uh, try to get our needs met in other than God or, in fact, to pursue a methodology that would not be the methodology that God would have for us. You know, whereas he has set us up as receivers, we're going to go be achievers. And in a, whatever it is, the power of sin always seeks to lead us away from God and against God. And that's really what it's all about. But it's very important to understand it's not who we are. Uh, it's not the real us. Uh, it's contrary to not only God, but who we are. You know, it, it masquerades, though, as the real us. We'll talk about that a little later on in the podcast or next week if this uh, turns out to be a rather lengthy conversation. 
I want to take what you just said, and I want to inject a verse into it. I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament, Romans chapter 7. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. So I want to take that verse and plug it back into the dynamic of Genesis 4. And if you read through that passage, it doesn't really say much about the interaction between Cain and Abel, God and Cain and God and Abel. But if you read it, there's really not much of a hint of any motive against Abel. There's only anger there, presumably against God. And then all of a sudden, bang, the next verse, there's the first murder. It's almost as if Romans 7.15 was played out right in front of us, as if the power of sin motivated Cain to do something that really was far beyond a normal response to this situation. So the power of sin not only can entice us and tease us, but there's an ability to take us places where we never thought we'd ever go. Have you ever seen that before, my friend? Oh, yeah. And I think what's happening, you, you hinted at it, John, uh, but it's, it all occurs in the mind. And the power of sin seeks to lead our mind away from what we know to be true. If, if we could interject uh, another New Testament verse, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, we have the mind of Christ. And so when this power of sin comes along and says, hey, slap your brother. Well, the mind of Christ would never say slap your brother. Uh, so that we know then is an outside voice. And I think what's sad is that so many of us, because we don't know the truth, instantly think that that thought came from us instead of from the power of sin. And so what happens is we embrace that thought. We think it was our thought, but it really wasn't because we have the mind of Christ. And so when it, when any type of situation like that, where, you know, there's a pretty girl, look at that one. Well, that's not the mind of Christ. Uh, that, and, but since it's in our mind, we go, well, that must be my thought. So if we don't do it, which then we would beat ourselves up for, we find many people who will beat themselves up for having the thought. And then instantly what happens is they begin to doubt who they are. And they say, boy, I must really be a wicked person. Yes. How could I have thought such a thought? Or even go to the extent of saying, I must not even be a believer. Because how could a believer ever have that kind of thought? And what you're telling people here, John, is so important. That was the power of sin that served up that thought to you. But in many churches, many books countless seminars, conferences. In fact, probably the majority of believers will say that what we're just describing is nothing other than the old man. Hmm. So it's like, I've got an old John. I've got a new John. They're both living inside of me and they're feeding me thoughts. One this hmm. side, one that side. And so but that's not true, is it? Because Romans 6 says the old man, the old John was crucified. And so how do we respond to people when they say, well, that's just the old man, the old nature. You got them both, you know, explain so many things. And, you know, it does explain a lot of things. 
So how do we respond to folks when we run across that? And we do all the time. Yes, we do. Unfortunately, like you said, John, it's taught in churches across the country. It's very often referred to as the good dog and the bad dog. Oh, yeah. And which and whichever one you feed will have the influence in your life. And what this really is, is an unbelief issue. It's a failure to believe what God has said. And God said in Romans chapter six, that old man, that's how it's called in the Greek. There's no such, there's no word nature used of us in the New Testament. It's old man. But the old man was crucified. It got buried. It's been done away with. And then we got resurrected brand new right. So the right one could live in us. So what these people are referring to as an old nature is dead wrong. It's not the truth. Now, I think there's a friend of ours named Bill Gillum, who's now with the Lord, who defined what's really going on there. And he said, the flesh and the power of sin masquerade as the old man. They function just like that old man functioned. And they make us think that that old nature is still around, but it's not. That's a deception. And, you know, sadly, John, that's what the enemy is so very good at, deceiving people and keeping them from the truth that would set them free. Right. What they, what they really need to say is, you know what? That temptation is not in accordance with my true identity. Why would I ever want to act contrary to who I am? That's the power of sin. Yeah. You know, for a while, some years ago, I taped onto my computer screen, Romans seven fifteen. the new John hates to sin. Wow. Just to remind myself that what's flying through my head in thoughts or suggestions or urges uh, is not the new John. Hmm. That's the enemy. The old John's dead, so there is no old John. It's, right. it's the enemy. And boy, that is a, it explains a lot, my friend. Uh, you mentioned Bill Gillum, and I know that he has been so instrumental in both of our uh, upbringings, so to speak, in understanding Christ's life. I read a little article by him recently where he talked about uh, Romans 5 through 8. And uh, he made reference to the word that's translated sin, appears 41 times in those verses, wow. 40 times as a noun. Hmm. And so I thought that was really cool because we tend to look at that as just sinful acts and we just twist the scriptures around or blame it on the old man and we just kind of gloss over it. But as I reread those chapters this week, and when you look at it from this perspective of how he describes it, it's so clear to see. In fact, he gives a little tool that I'd like to share with our listeners. Now, it's really juvenile, but it really helped me because I'm not real smart sometimes. Whenever in those passages, sin is used as a noun, he substitutes Mr. Sin, so that when you read it, you're reminded that, hey, this is, this is not an act or a choice or something. This is an entity, a person. And so I'd like to go through some of these chapters, some of these uh, verses in Romans hmm. and sort of pick them apart, if I will. But 
There's one other name I want to drop this week. I did do some reading. Usually I just sort of flop in front of the microphone and we just wing it. But uh, W.E. Vine, who did the Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. If you don't have that book, it's well worth the investment. Uh, I looked up what he had to say about the power of sin. And he defines it this way. He calls it a governing principle of power that is personified. And then he goes on to discuss 16 different verses. So here you have Mr. Gillum talking about 41 verses and Mr. Vine talking about 16 different verses where it's personified. So I guess from the mouth of two witnesses, (laughs) it's confirmed. So let's use the old Bill Gillum trick and let's personify Mr. Sin. Let's start, Frank, with Romans 6, 12. Don't let Mr. Sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Okay, so what's the MO of Mr. Sin, Frank? What's it trying to do in us and through us? Well, you know, it's interesting as I was listening to you, Mr. used by Bill Gillum implies a very strong uh, uh, personification. And then you have Mr. Vine using the word governing power. And so, boy, you put those two together and we've got somebody, something out there that's trying to rule in our lives. It's uh, trying to usurp the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's going to try to rule you and lead you, just like the verse says, into behaving it not in accordance with who you really are. Uh, pursuing sinful passions, uh, selfishness, lust, rage, uh, all those kinds, unkindness, unmerciful, uh, which are all contrary to who you really are because you are a partaker of the divine nature of God and you share his attributes. So really fascinating that it it wants to usurp the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the way I would look at that first verse, Romans 6, 12. You know, the end of that verse says to make you obey its passions. Yeah. You know, we all, we're emotional beings. God's an emotional being. Uh, And so we're created in his image. And so we are jam packed with emotions. Some are good, some are terrible, but uh, they come out sometimes in some pretty strange passions, desires, cravings. And sometimes those things are totally inconsistent with scripture, but we tend to think that those desires come from us because they pop into our mind. And so normal desires uh, can be twisted, manipulated, confused, and we wind up doing the thing, as Paul says, doing the very thing that you hate. Wow. Even though you think you think it's you. I tell you, Frank, when you hit on the fact that this is a mister and this is a governing power, it sort of stunned me that we're not dealing with a minor leaguer here. This is this is a major league opponent that knows <laughs> knows us sometimes better than we know ourselves and knows mm. exactly how to serve up the temptations mm. to trip us up. Listening to you, I, I just had this pop in my mind, John. He wants to be a dictator over you and lead you into his evil agenda. Whoa, yeah. that'd be a great movie. It is a great movie plot. It's sad that it's true. It's true spiritually. Yeah. Wow. 
All right, so we got that point locked down. Let's jump ahead to another verse. We'll probably have time for one more verse, maybe, before we have to uh, finish up for the day, because we're really having a fun time here. This is Romans 6, 14. Mm -hmm. For Mr. Sin will have no dominance over you. It has no mastery over you. That's my interjection. For you are not under law, but under grace. So this is interesting because it gives us a, a statement of position about us. Whatever this is working against us, it's a liar. It doesn't have mastery over us, even though it wants to, us to think it does. And then it gives us a way to deal with it. And it has to deal with law and grace. So Frank, we've been spending now seven weeks talking about law and grace. What's going on here? Wow. Uh, I know we're running short on time. That's so maybe all right. We, you got all the time you need. <laughs> maybe what we can do is just address uh, this kind of on the surface and then unpack, unpack it next time. There are three major verses here in the New Testament. One is 1 Corinthians 15, 56, where it says the strength of sin is the law. So this is an amazing concept. Sin is going to get its power from the law. So if you're a pastor and you want a lot of sin in your church, teach the law. Now, now here's the key. It, you're not going to get the sins of uh, adultery and fornication and drunkenness. What you're going to get is pride and judgment and an arrogance. Oh, spirit. yeah. The, the good sins. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we tie that into Romans 7, where it said, Paul says, I didn't know what sin was until the law came in and said, don't covet and then listen to what he says next but sin through the law created in me all kinds of coveting so here's the principle elaborated a little further whenever you have law and this is so important i hope people hear this there's nothing wrong with the law in romans 7 it says the law is holy righteous and good okay? nothing wrong with the law but sin this evil dictator usurper is going to use the law in our life to try to promote sin. Paul goes on to say it produced all manner of coveting in me. So if we could illustrate it real quick, don't think of a green monkey. Now, you haven't thought of a green monkey ever probably, but as soon as you hear don't think of it, you're thinking of a green monkey. Uh, wet paint don't touch, what do you do? You touch the wall, keep off the grass, what do you do? You wanna walk on the grass. It's nothing wrong with the law, but that's what sin does. And in Romans 5.20, there's another one. It says, God gave the law knowing sin would increase. So he knew that the power of sin would use the law to create all kinds of sin in our life, not because of the law, but because of this wickedness of this evil usurper called the power of sin. You say, well, why would God give the law then? I think it was to make us sick of sinning so that we'd get Realize the law was never a means to life, and we could then come under grace, and the power of sin would then lose its power. John, let me take one more second and just say that verse differently. If you said you read from Romans 6:14, sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Let me flip it and say it negatively. If you are not under grace, you will be under the law and then sin will be your master because sin will use the law 
to create more sin in your life. So I hope we'll unpack that further in the next time. But it just shows how wicked this dictator, this usurper, this governor, the power of sin really is. It will use this wonderful thing called the law of God, which was intended to lead us to Jesus, uh, to make us sin even more. That's, that's just, it shows the sinfulness of sin, uh, the wickedness of sin. And uh, boy, that's a real revelation. Oh, it is. And when you read that verse backwards, uh, that truth would be absolutely stunning, world-changing for many churches in this country. Because when you look at it that way, it makes you question, my goodness, what have I been doing my entire life or my entire pastorhood or for this church for the past 200 years? It's a game changer. We're going to pick this up next time, but I want to leave a couple of thoughts with our listeners before we sign off. You may have heard the old line, perhaps you've said it yourself, well, I just can't help myself. Well, you now know, hopefully from, from today's chat, that that's a lie. You can help yourself. You always have a choice, just like Cain did. And if you, as I am, a fan of Flip Wilson, and you use the phrase, the devil made me do it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that ain't true either. So we'll pick those thoughts up next time. But until then, again, uh, thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, www.ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. And remember, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.